Okay, so good afternoon, everybody. Thank you for joining us. I'm Helen Watson, the CEO of the Wealth Management Business here at Rothschild & Co. You usually hear from me on the quarterly call, but given the environment, we thought it'd be helpful if we were to give you an update. I'm delighted that I am joined, as per usual, by Kevin Gardner, our global strategist, and Hugo Cable-Cure, the co-head of our portfolio management team. First of all, I would just like to let you know that effective from the 9th of March, I yesterday, as a preventative measure, uh, the wealth management business has temporarily invoked elements of our business continuity plan. So given the growing concern in the UK regarding the spread of COVID-19, we are provisionally changing the way we work to minimise the effect on our business and on the service that we offer to all of you. These measures are purely precautionary with the aim of protecting the business from the potential threat posed by the virus. The decision has been made with careful consideration and we're very much erring on the side of caution with the best interests of our clients as our first priority. Staff in the same teams will be working on a rotating shift pattern, half of them working for two weeks in a Rothschild & Co office, followed by two weeks of working at home. Although people from different shifts will not mix, those working from home are not in self-isolation and will be available to meet with clients. Practically, we're still very much open for business. Those working remotely will adopt normal working hours, keeping in regular contact with their clients, teams and colleagues across Rothschild & Co. Your advisor will be contactable on their usual email addresses and on their usual telephone numbers during normal working hours. We believe the changes we've made will have no impact on our ability to manage client portfolios. There may be a few instances where face-to-face -face meetings need to be changed or where verbal confirmations on recorded lines are conducted by colleagues you haven't yet interacted well with. By protecting the health and well-being of our staff, we believe we can ensure the continued smooth running of our operations and we greatly appreciate your understanding. If you do have any questions, please do speak to your client advisor. With that, I'm going to hand over to Kevin, who's going to give us a sort of big picture view of where we are. Kevin? Great, thanks, Helen. Um, I'm going to perform maybe a little bit of a juggling act here, because on the one hand, I want to show that I fully appreciate just how um, nerve-wracking these markets can be. We haven't seen volatile stock markets on this scale uh, since uh, 2008, really, and it's quite alarming when markets are this volatile. But equally, um, I do feel that markets and media, lots of uncertainties out there, but they will overreact. They may already be overreacting. And from a long-term perspective, the key message for me is not that volatility, it's that the long-term outlooks have not changed that drastically, and we should probably be looking to this setback as an opportunity to actually capitalise on that. It can sound a little bit glib in the short term, I know, but I think that's the balancing act that we have to try to uh, try to uh, to sustain. By way of background, we've just published a market perspective in which we set these views out uh, on paper and uh, in pixels, and the title that we've given to this month's issue is this to shall pass. And I think that conveys the flavour of the uh, the message that we want to uh, to impart in this, this call also. But firstly, to talk about some of those short-term nerve-wracking movements and to offer a little bit of context on the market moves, the economic impact and policy, just a quick recap of where we've been. So yesterday in particular, that's uh, Monday the uh, 9th of March, thanks, Helen. Uh, we, we saw a very large fall in the US stock market in particular, it fell by more than 7%. That's the sort of magnitude of move that we haven't seen since 2008. 
and we saw something called implied volatility. That's the cost of portfolio insurance uh, in the US market hitting 50%. And that's a number also that we haven't seen since 2008. So these are large numbers and unsettling numbers by any standards. Uh, the price of oil has halved from its recent, uh, its recent high. Uh, gold has rallied, as it often does, uh, and in times of insecurity, and bonds in particular have rallied very firmly indeed. Um, if anything, it's the bond response that's been more decisive than the gold, uh, gold response there. Um, elsewhere, we've seen volatility, well, as a fabled new stable investment unit, Bitcoin, that's been hit very hard by this uncertainty. We've seen credit spreads widen. Uh, we've seen some interbank tensions materializing, but not yet on the scale that to me seems to be uh, especially alarming. So there has been lots going on. We've had stock markets selling off. We've had safe haven assets such as bonds in particular doing pretty well. Uh, and clearly this is in response to the probability that the virus is going to interrupt business. The oil price itself has got a lot of attention. I mentioned it earlier on, but really that's a little bit of a sideshow at the moment. The main focus for markets and portfolios really is what's going on with the spread of the virus and the measures taken uh, to deal with that spread. And as it's spreading, governments want to minimize its effect and they're shutting down the way that the economy functions. Uh, so very directly, economic bad news effectively is our way of dealing with the contagion. And we can only get rid of that economic bad news if we're willing to tolerate more uncertainty about contagion and fatality rates. And at the moment, there isn't that tolerance out there. So we have to recognize that business will stop and some of the economic data are going to be hit quite hard. The key thing, of course, is how long will they be hit in that way? For how long will this economic downturn uh, continue? And I'm surprised that some people, some very eminent economics profs have actually rushed into print, uh, suggesting that they know with some confidence that the economic hit that we're going to take will be a lengthy one and that it will do lasting damage to the global economy. I don't see how they can be that confident. And what strikes me is that uh, instead of being a worse than usual downturn, uh, the sort of downturn which comes from this source for me is actually a little bit less troubling than the downturn that comes, say, from a banking crisis uh, or a crisis in which capital markets have been crazily overvalued to begin with, when really the orders of magnitude of the uncertainties that you're facing are significantly uh, different. This time around, there haven't been big excesses in economies to begin with. Banks and consumers and inflation indices have not been misbehaving. So the very specific cause of this economic downturn for me makes it easier to deal with psychologically rather than uh, more difficult uh, to deal with. On the policy front, of course, uh, policymakers reacting. The Federal Reserve have cut interest rates uh, already. They're very, very likely to do so again. The Bank of England and the ECB from much lower levels are also likely to respond similarly. And it may well be that we get public spending being boosted. You might hear a little bit about that in the pending UK budget. We've heard a little bit about that already in Hong Kong and on a small scale uh, in the United States. So policy is reacting and that will help a little, but we have to be pretty clear here in our own minds, as it were. We have to be 
clear what it is that we're worrying about. If we're worrying about the public health threat, then we'll, we almost have to recognize that the economy shouldn't be held up too well in the short term, because in a way, in a very callous sense, uh, the economic dislocation is a way of stopping people getting ill and succumbing to the virus. And we have to tolerate that for as long as it's necessary for the virus to be actually controlled. So a couple of caveats there in terms of the near term story. Markets, as we're speaking, have stabilized a little. It feels a bit too soon to take that for granted. And there are lots of uncertainties. But to come back to the point I made right at the beginning, uh, for me, the story here for us as long term minded advisors, and for you as long-term investors, really the key thing is the question as to whether the moves in stock markets have accurately reflected the likely loss of business in future periods. And my guess, and we can't be precise about this, that's the whole point of what I've just been saying, but I think by an order of magnitude, the decline in the stock market has probably exceeded the likely lasting loss of business that's going to follow from this. Um, the one thing that we know for sure is that we will only really be able to uh, register an improvement in the situation after it has begun because we won't be reading about it in advance in the newspapers and I do think that the market response when it happens will be pretty v-shaped so if we're right and the markets are indeed overreacting uh, we shouldn't be attempting to fine-tune this market setback by being pretty cute and trying to sell into it and maybe hoping to buy back in further down, I'm not sure it's going to be easy to do that. I would be sitting tight and instead I'd be looking from the offset for opportunities to actually add to equity positions for long-term portfolios rather than be looking for a, an opportunity to run away from markets as it were. So that's a very quick summary as to how I'd see things from a purely top-down perspective. Thank you, Kevin. That's really helpful. Um, I think, Hugo, with the proviso that everything is uh, very volatile and moving very fast at the moment, as Kevin said, we've seen a little bit of stability today, but can you give us an idea of how the portfolios are performing? Yes, so, so um, up to the end of February, portfolios had fallen in value by around 3%. Um, since then, markets have had another leg down and portfolios have declined a further 4 to 5%. Um, dollar portfolios are performing around half a percent better and the euro ones about half a percent lower, partly due to bond exposure and also from currency moves. Um, however, I would definitely reiterate what you've just said, Helen, about the market volatility at present. The picture is continually shifting. In fact, markets are bouncing this afternoon as we are recording this so call. On previous calls, we've sort of talked a lot about our diversifying assets and how much of a portfolio they might protect at any given point. I guess we've moved from theory to practice. Um, what, have, what, have they actually, what have they actually done? Well, um, so far, I'm, I'm, I'm very pleased that portfolios have been reacting very much in accordance with the, the stress tests uh, that we uh, simulate and the kind of numbers that I've been talking about in the previous calls. So the diversifying assets have protected the portfolios from around 20% of the market fall so far which is pretty much what we expected. Uh, and as I said before, these assets, such as the put options, react proportionately more to larger market moves. So we can anticipate a rising level of, of offsets if markets fall uh, further or uh, faster. Okay, so the put options have increased in value pretty substantially even at this point. What about the funds like Acura, Artemis, the trend followers? Trend followers typically at times of change have a 
more difficult period? How are they all doing? Yes, so so you're right. So so most of the offset so far has come from the put options, but the other funds are making a valuable contribution as well. Um, and just on that point, we've been in continuous communication with the managers of these funds in the recent days, partly to understand their positioning and their performance, but also because they're an invaluable source of market information for us. So just taking them in turn, um, Acura, which is the tail risk or disaster fund, is making hay in this turbulence. So most of their returns have come via their equity option book, but they're also making money from currency and gold options. So far this year, as of yesterday, they're up 43%. Artemis, uh, which is Chris Cole, who trades volatility out of Austin and Texas, is beginning to perform well as well. Um, he's up around 20% uh, so far. And what he really needs to do very well is for volatility, uh, i.e. choppy markets, to remain elevated, which, which really seems a, a reasonable prospect. And, and the trend followers are flashes so far this year. So they actually went into this crisis long equities because we'd have this long period of rising equity markets, and that certainly hurt them. But they were also long government bonds, which has been much more helpful. Um, they also positioned shortened commodities, particularly oil and energy, uh, which have fallen a long way. So Helen, as you said, we, we, we don't expect trend followers to do well immediately following a market inflection because they do need a period for new trends to form. But if we continue to see equities and commodities down, and government bonds and certain currencies up, then we expect the performance to, to really kick in. And how would we think about um, monetizing some of that protection? Hugo's question we get asked a lot. Um, yes, so so this is something which, as you can imagine, is a almost continuous topic of a conversation on the investment desk um, in terms of the diversifiers and and and, and are, are are we selling them down? So broadly, not yet. So we sold one of the six puts. Um, it was actually very close to expiry, uh, and so we monetized that. Um, we're running the other positions for the time being. Um, the funds, the Acura, the Artemis, I mean, they will bank some profit as, as they go, but they're retaining most of their exposure as well. Um, but if, if we do see the markets fall much further, then what will happen is our put options will go into the money and they'll actually lose some of that responsiveness to further market falls. They'll lose some of that convexity. And at that point, we'll probably look to uh, start taking them off. So when you say about they'll lose convexity, they won't mushroom as much as they do in the early stages it, of the Exactly okay. right. You'll end up with more of a one-to-one -one yeah. movement with the markets. Okay. So, um, so back to Kevin's point about actually one would be looking probably to the set looking at this setback as an opportunity to sort of capitalize on some opportunities um so what what are we doing are we doing anything there yes so um exactly as kevin has recommended we're, we're sort of looking for opportunities oh, and yeah. uh we have been we have been nibbling um so we have uh, placed some orders in the market some of them are, are still in progress uh and being worked so i can't talk about them until they're complete mm -hmm. um however um, we bought back uh, the Ryanair shares that were sold for 16 euros only a few weeks ago in towards the end of January. Uh, we bought those back at around 12 euros. Mm -hmm. uh, actually, just on the just on the the, uh, the topic of Ryanair, we feel that the coronavirus will only accelerate the airline 
consolidation within Europe uh, and that Ryanair will emerge a big winner. Uh, we saw Flybe uh, going bust the other day and uh, a quick Google search will bring up the list of uh, potential candidates for the next bankruptcy uh, and Ryanair certainly isn't in that camp. Um, we completed a purchase of Wells Fargo shares yesterday as well. Um, so the bank is now trading, Wells Fargo is now trading below our appraisal of its book value. Uh, which is the key metric for looking at banks. And this is a really exceptionally cheap valuation for a bank, which is structurally very profitable. Um, and finally coming out of the shadow of their account opening scandal as well. Uh, and, and we'll look to add more on further market weakness, both by adding to existing holdings, but we're also appraising a number of new investments, some of which look great, but too expensive for only a, a, few, a few weeks ago. So when you're when you're thinking about constructing portfolios, um, and we've got these sort of two aims in mind: long-term performance above inflation, and then being able to weather the sort of market turbulence. When you think about the second aim, what are the key things that you think about? And, and when you look at the portfolio and how it's constructed today, makes you feel gives you comfort. Yes, well, absolutely. Well, it's well, it's both at the sort of micro level and the and the macro level. So at the micro level, we're invested in high quality companies with very strong cash flow, and conservative balance, balance sheets. So I, mean, I just mentioned Run, and it has the strongest balance sheet of any airline in the Europe. Uh, the diversifiers are helping, uh, and they're set up to do even better if markets worsen. That's very important. Um, we don't own any low quality credit, uh, such as as a junk bonds. Um, so there isn't hidden risk in the portfolio there. Um, and there was a lot of cash and a near, a near cash in, in, in portfolios. Uh, and, and the cash is a drag in the rising market, but it gives a lot of optionality in, in the falling markets. Um, so we, I mean, we, we hate seeing portfolio values drop, but we do feel that the portfolios are very ro robust um, and they're well positioned to take advantage of opportunities as they arise. Great, thank you, Hugo. Um, so thank you, Kevin. I think we'll conclude it there. If anyone does have any follow-up questions, please do ask your client advisor and we'll come back to you. As I said at the beginning, things are moving around quite a lot at the moment, so we will do our best to uh, keep in touch with you as, as much or as little as you wish us to. But in the meantime, I wish everybody well and um, we'll hopefully talk to you on the next quarterly call. Thank you. Please note, this audio content is produced by Rothschild & Co for information purposes only, and any reliance on the information provided in it is done at your own risk. This content should only be used or reproduced with the express written permission of Rothschild & Co. The podcast is not provided as a solicitation, recommendation, or invitation to buy or sell any security, fund, or any other banking or investment product. Nothing in this podcast constitutes advice of any sort, and no responsibility is accepted in relation to the fairness or accuracy of it. The value of investments and the income from them can go down as well as up, and you may not recover the amount of your original investment. Past performance should not be taken as a guide to future performance.